0: The Bruce Hooley Show podcast is brought to you by HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. Creating jobs and restoring dignity one cup at a time. Good coffee doing good. Learn more at HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. Donald J. Trump. Coming to the Delaware County Fairgrounds April the 23rd. This according to a Delaware County Republican Party Facebook post. Tickets will be released by the former president's team at a later date. He has not been here since June of 2021. Uh, One thing's for sure, at this rally, uh, Trump will endorse Max Miller, who uh, was going to run against Anthony Gonzalez, the former Buckeye. Then uh, Gonzo, who voted for Trump's impeachment the second time. That's why Trump wanted him out. Uh, Gonzo pulled out, and Miller's district got changed. He's now the seventh district candidate. Miller will, no doubt in my mind, win. Republicans are going to dominate. Republicans are going to dominate in the midterm election. Some details on what 538 says about how much they might dominate in the Senate races. But the unknown about Trump arriving here so close to the May 3rd primary is, will he endorse? Will he endorse in the governor's race? Uh, Jim Renacci says he has uh, Trump's backing, uh, but I don't think Trump has said that. Uh, Joe Blystone is an independent candidate. He's on the Republican ticket, but I mean, guy who wears jeans and runs a farm in Canal Winchester and looks anything but like a political candidate. (laughs) He's a pretty independent thinker. Uh, Pretty Trump-like, in my estimation. And then there's Mike DeWine, uh, our governor, who is a career politician, who uh, angered President Trump by acknowledging Joe Biden's election victory, being among the first governors to do so. But the big, big, big key will be, will Trump endorse in the Senate race? Will he endorse Jane Temkin, J.D. Vance, Josh Mandel, Mike Gibbons? He will not endorse Matt Dolan, that I know. Dolan has not even attempted to get Trump's endorsement, and he wouldn't get it, so he'd be wasting his time. So a Trump endorsement in the Senate race, I think, would tip the Senate race. I really think it would now. Don Trump Jr. has been around the fringes of the J.D. Vance campaign, tweeting stuff, and I think he attended something where J.D. was, and people wonder, is Donald Trump Jr. going to endorse J.D. Vance? I don't know. But it's tight. It's tight. And we have to coalesce behind whoever wins that primary on May the 3rd. We have to defeat Screaming Tim Ryan. We have to defeat Screaming Tim Ryan. It's just not even an option not to defeat Screaming Tim Ryan. So what does the uh, analysis of 538 tell us about the upcoming midterm election? So they do all kinds of analytical machinations and I'm not going to bore you with the details because I'm not sure I understand every detail, except I do understand the takeaway, which is because the generic ballot, and what do they mean by the generic ballot? They go up to people right now, they survey them, they say, you know, in the upcoming election, would you be more inclined to vote for a Republican or more inclined to vote for a Democrat? That's generic. They're not giving you any names, right? They're not saying Josh Mandel against Tim Ryan, Jane Timken against Tim Ryan. They're just saying generic, Republican or Democrat. Well, we form assumptions about who we'll vote for based upon how things are going, inflation, border, international position on the stage uh, of relating to other countries, all bad right now for Joe Biden. I mean, 50-plus percent of his party doesn't even want him to run for re-election in 2024, and he's barely a year into his first term. I mean, that tells you how disastrous the Biden presidency has been. So the generic ballot favors Republicans. And they think... It will favor Republicans by a margin of about 4.5%. And then they combine that with Joe Biden won the general by about 4.5% of the vote. So the thought is that any senator up for election in a state that Biden won by less than 9%, because he's got to overcome the generic ballot, and he's got to overcome you know, the support that he's lost by being a bad president, you got to really be all in on the Biden team. You got to be super uber in on the Biden team. You got to be one of those wackos who says, "I thought the Afghanistan withdrawal was an extraordinary success, just like the president said. I think inflation is all Putin's price hike." You got to be you got to be on team Democrat in a big big way to still want to vote Democrat in the upcoming midterms. So what Senate seats held currently by Democrats are held by people running this fall who did not win their last election by more than 9% of the vote. And we we'll look at this. There's four of them. Mark Kelly in Arizona, Mr. Gabby Giffords, Rafael Warnock, the fake pastor from Georgia, Catherine Cortez Masto in Nevada, they all won by less than 2.5% of the vote. So they're gone. Bye-bye. And you're doing the math right now. You're going, wait a minute, it's 50-50. Does that mean it'll be 53-47? Well, from your mouth to God's ear. And then there's one other senator, Democrat, running, who won by less than 9%, Maggie Hassan in New Hampshire, but she won by 7.5%. So she may be able to withstand it. She may be able to withstand it. Now, what's really interesting is when you flash forward to 2024, 2024, and they look at the analytics right now and what presidents typically get in their first run, in you know, their well, now only attempt to be reelected. How many other Democrats are running then who didn't win by what is considered to be a bulletproof margin? Well, Tammy Baldwin in Wisconsin, uh, Kristen Cinema in Arizona, Bob Casey in Pennsylvania, Sherrod Brown in Ohio. Yeah, baby. I do think we've got a shot. I do think we've got a shot. Think of how demoralizing it'll be to be a Democrat in 2024. Joe Biden will be limping to the finish line of his first and no doubt only term as president. He'll either be a lame duck because he's announced he's not going to run again, or he'll be a lame duck because he's decidedly going to get trounced. Unless, of course, Donald Trump runs and Trump awakens the enemy. That is the one way that Biden could get reelected or that some other stand-in candidate on the Democratic side could get reelected. Would Donald Trump defeat Michelle Obama? Would Donald Trump defeat Oprah? I don't know. But I know Ron DeSantis would. So I like Trump, love Trump, love his policies. Don't want him to run for re-election because he's at an age where he can be more effective as a kingmaker, as an articulator in his own unique, bold, <laughs> exceedingly entertaining way. <laughs> if I was president, you'd be in jail. One of the great lines in the history of U.S. presidential debates to Hillary Clinton. He can be more useful in his role as not the lead candidate on the ticket. I mean, if DeSantis is on the ticket, uh, this is the thing. Trump awakes everybody if he's the nominee. But he doesn't inspire the same energy to get out and vote against the Republicans if he's simply the man standing on the sta- stage with his hand on Ron DeSantis's shoulder or Tom Cotton's shoulder or Mike Pompeo's shoulder. And we have to hope that Trump's ego does not get in his way of wholeheartedly endorsing whoever the Republican nominee is. I don't want to hear any, oh, he's lukewarm toward Pompeo, or he's lukewarm toward Nikki Haley, or he's lukewarm toward Josh Hawley. I don't want to hear that. This is about winning. This is about crushing Democratic wokeness and the evil. It's evil. It's twisted, demonic evil, this thing of telling kids they can become a man or a woman, simply by saying it. And then they mutilate their bodies and they damage their their health by taking these hormones and hormone puberty blockers. I mean, I rail against this every single day because I feel a great burden that this is an unbelievable, unspeakable evil being visited on our kids by people who have nefarious agendas out there. So that's why I talk about it. That's why I try to awaken you to the dangers of it. Honestly, you know, if you're late to the party on it or uncomfortable coming to the party on it, getting involved, getting up to speed, I understand it. I distinctly remember, this would have been mm, 2018 maybe. I was doing a show and there was a story of a kid in Texas. A boy wrestling as a girl destroying the competition and at that time it was just a novelty story and i was like afraid to talk about it because i really didn't know what the heck i was talking about like i didn't even know what a transgender girl was like is that somebody who's had an operation is that somebody who's like just cross-dressing like what is that i had no idea what it was and matt walsh used to talk about it all the time on the daily wire Show that he has, and I'd be like, okay, Matt, like, you're, really, this is this big of a deal? Yeah, it's this big of a deal. Again, I'll tell you, distraught call last week, 30 minutes on the phone with a Dublin high school teacher. Bruce, I have kids who change their gender every day. Every day. Change their name every day. Change their pronouns every day. You think that's good? For a child's psychological makeup, they don't know who they are. They're searching. And the people who claim that they'll give them affirmation and community, they're lying to them. They're lying to them because when those kids figure out, no, I was born a boy. No, I was born a girl. This life choice that I've been lured into is nothing but emptiness and misery. Well, then the very people who claim to affirm them, support them, will turn on them with fangs bared. Myriad stories out there of just those kinds of circumstances. Exceedingly sad. We have to stand up for our kids. We have to push back against this attempt to politicize them and sexualize them in our schools. We have to. It is the defining issue of our era. So as we head toward the top of the hour and handing the baton to Dennis Prager, update you on a story yesterday we talked about, the Parents' Rights and Education Bill, Ron DeSantis, also the governor of Florida, putting forward $70 million in funding to try to help have more kids in foster care be raised by their dads, to make dads more a factor in the home. This was supported by Super Bowl winning coach Tony Dungy, founded an organization called All Pro Dad to do just exactly what DeSantis Initiative would do, which is get dads more in tune with being great dads to their kids. So Tony Dungy, as I told you, was eviscerated on social media for daring to appear with Ron DeSantis, a bigot, a racist. Tony Dungy tweets today. Two days ago, I spoke on behalf of a Florida bill that supports dads and families, and it offended some people. 14 years ago, President Obama said the same things almost verbatim. I'm assuming people were outraged at him, too. I am serving the Lord, so I'll keep supporting dads and families. And Tony Dungy released with this tweet a quote from Barack Obama that said, We know the statistics that children who grow up without a father are five times more likely to live in poverty and commit crime, nine times more likely to drop out of school, and 20 times more likely to end up in prison. They are more likely to have behavioral problems or run away from home or become teenage parents themselves. And the foundations of our community are weaker because of it. That's Barack Obama in 2007. 2007. Now, look, we're trying to eliminate mothers. Can't be a mother. You're a birthing person. You're a birthing person. Uh, You're a man. You can chest feed. Breastfeeding? Chest feeding. This transgender ideology is out of control. This demonizing of dads is out of control. This marginalizing of moms and eliminating women and what women are, that they exist, that we know what they are intuitively by the biology that they were born with or the fact that they birthed children. Again, I'll tell you, like G.K. Chesterton did once, a nation disintegrates when it ceases to recognize things that are obvious. It ceases to exist when it, 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 a nation disintegrates when it ceases to recognize things that are obvious. Now, what should be obvious in Hilliard is that you can't have students walking out in the middle of the school day tomorrow to protest House Bill 616, which hasn't even had a public hearing yet. But the Hilliard Board of Education, two of them at least, Kara Crawley and Brian Perry, have no interest in following state law which does allow for students to leave with parents' permission to attend religious instruction off-site. But listen to Kara Crawley at the 331 meeting working session of the Hilliard board say, I don't really care what state law is. I'm going to do what I want to do.
1: And those teachers at that time, I mean, those student those teachers still have to do report cards. What are they giving letter uh, grades on? You know, I just don't understand how we could devalue anything bell to bell, like Brian said, and, and stick religious in religious instruction in when that is something that I fully support outside of the school day, in the evenings and on the weekends, but not during the academic day.
0: Sure, 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 sure. I'm sure she's all about the religious instruction offsite. Absolutely positive she's all about it. So you don't get the option here, Kara, because that is state law, as pointed out to her by somebody at the meeting. Hey, but this is the law.
1: Clearly our legislature thought it was important though. Well, I think this is a misinterpretation of a law that was written. The law, I believe, was written, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. The law was written so that students that don't follow a Christian calendar could be released with an excused absence to miss holidays that we don't honor in our typical Christian calendar schools. So That's why those things were set up.
0: Uh, Well, you said I could correct you if you were wrong, so I'm correcting you because you are wrong. That is not why the law was set up. It was set up to allow for off-site religious instruction as an elective if parents opt in. But the point I just made, someone at the meeting made it, and Kara still wasn't having it. It literally says release
1: time for religious instruction. I don't believe that the way it was interpreted. It's supposed to be interpreted, and I think it's been misconstrued
0: believe the way it was interpreted is the way it was supposed to be interpreted, and so it has been misconstrued, in her opinion. She's the king. She's the queen. I don't know whether she's a king or a queen because I'm sure she's an LGBTQ advocate. Now, Brian Perry, another wokester, came to her aid, talking about um, more on this issue, and uh, oh, I'm all for parental uh, choice, except when it conflicts with choices that I, Brian Perry, would approve of.
2: First of all, I'm all I mean, for parental choice, whenever that's possible. There are times when that's we... The, that's what the policy is completely about, Brian. I know, I said whenever possible. Now, now, my point is, we do restrict parental choice on occasion. For example, we have what's an excused and unexcused absence. We're never going to say to a student, you can't go to the amusement park on a Tuesday. We're going to say that that's not an excused absence. And that's kind of you know, the parental choice, to, you're taking that, that loss.
0: Ah, so parental choice, when it is in accord with state law, if it conflicts with Brian Perry's preferences, is not okay. But, but, the real damage here, Brian Perry, would have you believe, is to teachers who will be so hurt, so crushed, if students are allowed to leave to be instructed in matters of religion as state law allows, because, oh, this will just kill the very existence of, the very motivation of teachers who want to educate their kids and not being able to educate their kids will have them, well they'll have them crying in the bathroom.
2: For me it's just we have a responsibility bell about. Belt. This fundamentally flies in the face of because you're now detracting from, I know how teachers are, I have teachers in my family, I work with teachers every day, I know how they are. You're gonna have a student who comes in missing a period of class, come back in, they're not going to be well regulated returning, they gotta re-regulate them, that bus comes in five minutes late, they gotta put them back in distraction from the rest of the classroom, it, it's a whole litany of things. So sometimes you gotta go, what's better for the entire community here? And I don't think catering to this for this cost-benefit analysis just does not way out for me. The benefit to the parent to have 40 minutes of instructional time where they can get that at literally any point of the day, night, or weekend, or holidays, or vacation, Versus what it's going to do to our, our teachers and staff during an academic time. We need to focus exclusively on academics and really hit that home, get yes. those scores back up, and make our teachers feel like they can work again. They've been, I mean, they've been crying in the bathrooms. This is not a joke. I, you know, this, is, this happens all the time.
0: Oh, all the time they're crying in the bathroom. Hilliard Davis. Shocking.